Our Old Testament reading is from Job chapter 19, this man whose life had become literally a living hell, and he was at the verge of death in great suffering, and he never was given a reason as to why. The final reason is his forward-looking faith to the promised Messiah. Job chapter 19, beginning verse 23. Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead, or engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. After my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Here ends the Old Testament. The epistle for this Easter Sunday is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning verse 12, which tells us of the significance of Jesus' resurrection. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ, All will be made alive. Here ends the epistle. The Holy Easter Gospel recorded in Matthew chapter 28, beginning the first verse. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. 
They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Here ends the Holy Gospel. In medieval times, the pastor would come out on Easter, and he was like the angel in the story. And all of the children would come up, and they represented the ladies on Easter morning. So, I'm looking for all the little people. Charlie's ready. Okay, how many of you went to find Easter eggs? You went to find Easter eggs, right. Uh, no, they're not here anymore. <clears throat> this is the only one. Now, what was in your Easter eggs? Candy. Was there anything else in there? You had money? Wow. Who's in charge of this Easter egg thing? Easter bunny? Well, uh, this is my Easter egg. There's something inside it, but not candy or money. Want to guess? A cross? That'd be a good guess. Nope, but that's a good guess. What is that? What is that? It's a chicken. Yeah, let's everybody take a look at it. It's a little tiny chick. Now, don't lose it because that's one of my grandkids' little tiny chicks. Why a chicken inside of an egg? Well, that's the way it usually is. I'm going to put him back again, okay? Why? In Jesus' day, it wasn't that you had an egg just to have a fried egg. What they thought was wondrous is that if left in a nice warm place, like under the mama chicken, where you'd never see it, there was this miracle that the little baby chick inside would start pecking and at a certain point be able to peck its way out, and they thought that was kind of a resurrection because before there was nothing. Now suddenly there's life inside that little egg, and out pops the little chicken, which to them was a symbol of life. Some of you might remember that years ago they used to sell little baby chicks to give to kids on Easter. You guys never got chickens, did you? No, just as well. But the chick is a wonderful picture of resurrection out of life. This is the tomb. This is a picture of Jesus, like an adorable little chick. Okay, I think we're done. You can go back again. Okay? <laughs> Sanctify them by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. Our text is not found anywhere on your sheet this morning. It's a special text from Matthew chapter 28, beginning verse 11. 
These are the events of Easter morning from the different point of view, from the viewpoint of Jesus' enemies, beginning verse 11, referring now to the Roman soldiers. And while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell the people, his disciples came at night and stole him away while we were sleeping. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed, and this story has been spread widely among the Jews to this very day. This is our text. Dear saints of God in Christ Jesus, some of you are thinking this is a pretty lousy Bible verse to use for Easter morning. No, it isn't. It's great. And you should give thanks for the events that happen here and everything that leads up to it. We were told earlier before this that the Jews came to Pilate and said in the previous chapter, we want the grave to be secure lest some of his disciples come and steal the body away and then say that he is risen and that fraud become greater than ever. We're told that then Pilate himself who did not want any struggle or trouble in Jerusalem anymore and who hated rumors of every kind, gave the order. And two things were done. First of all, they were given orders to guard the tomb. It was a custodian. If that sounds like custodian, you're right. But their word meant guard to keep. If I would take, for example, this nice little egg and in whose keeping shall I put it? Oh, we can't pick on Ken again. We'll pick on Katya. I officially am now putting this in your custody. Stand up. According to Roman military law, should she lose custody of that thing that had been put in her hands, she would be executed. To have something in your custody was a deadly business. Those soldiers of the custodian, we don't know how many there were, but probably a good-sized number, were all given this authority, but also this very dangerous assignment. I'll be back later. Don't lose it. This Roman group of soldiers now are going to guard the tomb with their lives. There's going to be no silly, stupid story that the disciples would come and steal the body by night. These men kept round-the-clock charge, 
Some slept, others stood awake, always at least two-thirds of them awake. And nobody was going to take that body away from the tomb. Besides, the disciples aren't overly brave, are they? We find them in the other Easter accounts hiding behind locked doors, even into the evening. The only time anybody got rambunctious was Peter in the garden where he whipped out his fishing knife and cut off Malchus's ear, to which Jesus then healed it. That must have told the soldiers something. But otherwise, when they finally arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, we're told they all fled. They all ran away. They were chickens. If they had tried to come and steal the body away, what do you think would happen? There would have been a very bloody encounter, I think with a few dead bodies out in front of the grave. And in spite of all that, that tomb would not have been robbed. There would have been dead disciples out front, maybe a couple of soldiers dead. That's what you should have seen on Easter morning. And a record of that would have been sent directly to Pilate. Roman soldiers were funny that way. They kept orders. On top of the Roman soldiers willing to die to keep that body secure, also there was the official seal. Wax was poured at various places in contact with the rock, and the official Roman seal was pressed into the wax so that even an attempt to try to get that tomb open would indicate a crack at least on those seals. It would indicate that someone was trying to steal the contents. This is such great information for us. We should give thanks for what the Jewish officials asked Pilate to do. Stop and think of it for a moment. If they just would have left the grave alone, no guards, no seal, and suddenly the body wasn't there, well, then that would be easy. Then you could say somebody came and stole the body at night. But the Jews who complicated this situation with their special measures to guarantee no resurrection guaranteed that there was a resurrection. That's what's so beautiful about this whole event. An angel comes, rolls aside the stone. This is the point at which the soldiers take one look. They are terrified and literally they faint away as though they're dead. Of course, they're not. The soldiers don't get to witness anything of what then happens, or the risen Christ talking. They see none of that. At this point, the ladies come. The angel announces to them that Jesus is risen. They go back into town Peter and John come out, as we hear in the account in John, read earlier this morning. They go inside and see what happened. There is, in fact, no body. But what is there are all of the linen wrappings intact. The body was simply not there anymore. It had fallen, the, the linens had fallen in on themselves. 
And John tells us that even the face cloth that was once around his head is now neatly folded up and placed where the head had been. If there really was a stealing of the body done by the disciples, it wouldn't have happened while the soldiers were sleeping because they didn't sleep. It wouldn't have happened because they overpowered the soldiers because that wouldn't work. And even if somehow it did, what would you see? Dead bodies. What would be in the tomb? In order to get the body out of the small hole, about a cubit around is all, they would have had to very quickly cut and slash all the wrappings, and that would have been strewn all over the inside of the tomb, along with about 100 pounds of spices. That's what Peter and John should have seen when they went into the tomb. That's what the ladies should have seen. Instead, there's the intact wrappings. We're then told, of course, that the soldiers came and made a report. I'm going to ask a report of you, Katya. Oh, she's so smiley. Stand up. Give your account of what happened so far. Nice and loud. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. Is that a question? Don't you want to make something up to make it more interesting? No, no. Because that's another way to get yourself killed. When you give a report before Roman officials, it's like today. The truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Don't make anything up. Just what did you see? Don't guess. Just what happened. And what happened? Nothing. Nothing. Okay, you can sit down. You saved your own life. Because if you would have given me a fancy story, you would have been dead. Notice the reaction. They come and they would have given the simple account of what the soldiers saw. Now, when they did wake up, what would you do if you were a soldier? You were charged with the body. You wake up and see the stones rolled away. What would you immediately do? You would go inside the tomb to see whether the body was still there. Of course, it wasn't, but they'd give all the full details of what I've mentioned to to you before. The intact bandages, the face cloth, not strewn with things. That's the report that the Jewish officials get from the soldiers. They are the first solid witnesses about the resurrection. And they give the report clearly and precisely and accurately in full truth because their life depends upon it. That's the same with us. The good news of what happened on Easter morning is something that also is for our lives. Our lives depend upon it. I find it amazing that the people that then believe the report and believe it very seriously are not at first the disciples. You can look in the other gospel accounts that some of them when they heard about the resurrection said it was an old wives tale. These ladies are just making stuff up. Did you catch with the Jewish people what they were doing? There was an assembly of the elders 
the Jewish Sanhedrin, and they believe exactly what the soldiers tell them. They believe it. They're the first ones. There's no doubts. It's going to take the disciples of Jesus upwards of 40 days to finally come around to the full recognition of what had actually happened. But the soldiers, they know it right away. And the Jewish leaders obviously believe it too because they act upon it. Remember, faith isn't just believing something vague. If you really believe something, you will always act upon it. And so they did. They took a large sum of money and gave it to the soldiers and instructed them how to speak. Tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were sleeping, end quote. Well, if I'm one of the soldiers, I'm not sure about this because what's money going to do you when the Roman governor finds out that you were sleeping? Money does you no good when you're a dead man. But the Jews know this. And so they say, if this comes to the governor's ears, and it will, because that's how the Greek reads, we will satisfy him. That's a nice term for Thanksgiving dinner or Easter dinner when you're completely full. It's a very fancy way of saying they're going to bribe the old fellow. They're going to keep pouring on the money until he says, that's fine, we'll just let the whole matter go. They confess their faith in a strange way, but they know exactly that Jesus is risen as he said, and they show it by this effusion of great amounts of money to bring up this story, which is not true. How's your faith this morning? Are you willing to bet your life on it? Are you willing to tell the truth as those Roman soldiers did? They had real, solid, actual faith based on real, solid events and evidence right before them, and they acted accordingly. So how are you doing? If it was a crime to be a Christian, would there be enough evidence against you to get you convicted of being a Christian? That's a hard question. Or do you blend in with the woodwork in this current nation of ours? I'm encouraging you to be like the soldiers and even like the Jewish authorities. When you come face to face with this truth that this Jesus is in fact risen from the dead, then believe it with all your heart and act upon it. Some of you this morning were curious as to why are we singing these weird hymns? right? The day of resurrection. That's easy. What was that other one? Good grief, you could barely sing it. Come ye faithful, raise the strain. Well, they're both written by a guy who had his life on the line. His name was John. He was the vizier or mayor, we would say, of Damascus in Syria after the takeover of that whole area by the Islamics. 
The caliph was in charge. John was a Christian doing his job as mayor. They tried to force him to give up this Christian faith and embrace Islam. He said he didn't want to. And the caliph was about ready to have him hauled in and have his head chopped off. But the people in Damascus heard what had been done as a threat to their beloved John, and they came in mass, and they started asking with cries and even hymns, don't hurt our beloved John. We love our beloved John. And it wasn't just the Christians that were pleading for his life, but many of those who had adopted the Islamic faith. John did his job probably better than any other mayor that had ever been. He was unselfish, he was fair and honest about everything. And he wasn't afraid to confess his faith in this Jesus. Now he didn't save his own neck by giving in. It's all the people who were crying and calling on for mercy. Our beloved John, don't hurt him. And of all things, the caliph backed off. He refused to put John to death, but he himself was breaking Islamic law. That's the power of a simple confession of faith. John was sure of Jesus who was crucified and risen. Therefore, he was not afraid even of the worst of threats. He lived his life in order to be a thanksgiving to the risen Lord Jesus, the one who gave his life and redeemed him. This is why I had you sing these two strange hymns this morning. John of Damascus is why. On this Easter morning, I invite you to be like the Roman soldiers, tenacious, holding on to what's been given to you, which is this saving faith in Jesus. I invite you to be like the Jewish authorities who, when shown the evidence, believe it and act upon it. Of course, not in a Christian way. But ultimately, be like the disciples through the centuries. The disciples who, at the end of 40 days, fully understand Jesus risen, and the disciples of every generation who have been so bold to stand up for their faith because that faith in Christ is what gives them eternal life. On this Easter Sunday, be like these saints of old and unreservedly and boldly say, He is risen as He said. Amen. And the peace of God that passes understanding will keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until life everlasting. Amen.